stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Alberta is not and has never been an equal participant in Confederation. Confederation must rectify the critical injustices that prevent Alberta's equal participation in Canada. Our goal is to present solutions to the issues angering Albertans and in so doing strengthen Canada. That directly from the Buffalo Declaration, buffalodeclaration.com, a reference not to the animal, not to the city, but to the uh, concepts of a united Alberta, Saskatchewan province more than 100 years ago. Uh, the Buffalo Declaration uh, is the product of four conservative MPs who are trying to advance a conversation about Alberta's place in Confederation and put ideas on the table that might convince Albertans at least those Albertans who are not convinced anymore the Confederation is working, that it can still work. So it diagnoses the problem, offers some solutions. Not everybody's going to agree with all of those solutions, but I don't think we can ignore these underlying issues. This is a byproduct of something very real, I think, that is happening in Alberta. So joining us to talk more about all this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Michelle Rempel-Garner, who is a conservative MP for Calgary Nose Hill and one of the four signatories uh, of the Buffalo Declaration. Again, buffalodeclaration.com. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. And thanks for having me. All right. Well, tell us a bit more then about how this all came together and kind of what the impetus of this is. Well, look... um, I have heard loud and clear from certainly people in my constituency, and I know my colleagues have heard similar sentiments across the country, that people are frustrated and hopeless, and many people are out of jobs. And I think certainly in the recent weeks, as these these blockades have happened, uh, the tech mine is, is... uh, you know, under extreme pressure to be politically vetoed by the Liberal Party. And, uh, you know, it, it, most people think that that is going to happen. Um, I, I just feel like something really needed to be said in terms of the structural inequities that sort of allow this cycle of Alberta's fortunes to be put in grave peril at the change of a government. And, you know, certainly through this last campaign, I had to spend a lot of time in other parts of the country because I knew that in order for the people in my community to have a voice and to get their jobs back, we would need to see a change in government. It really struck me that I had to go to other parts of the country to campaign in order for that to happen, as opposed to, you know, really starting to, we we have to talk about structural reform such that we just have an equal voice. And... Look, I know that there. This is um, this is sort of new territory, but I also hope that uh, you know conservative leadership race candidates look at this um, and and understand that uh, we're we're hearing. I am hearing things from my community like I, we we need to have permanent permanent structural reforms, or 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 the separatist movement is going to get steam. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important um, and it's a responsible thing to do for me as a parliamentarian and my colleagues as well to say, what are the reforms necessary to prevent that from happening? Right. So in a way then, I mean, it's it's obviously a message aimed at the current government, but I, I suppose in a way then it's it's also a message aimed at your own party. Is that fair to say? Look, I, um, uh, I think it's this. I, I think that 
we're in the middle of a leadership race, certainly, and that's a time for, for ideas to come out. Um, I, I, I certainly expect anybody who's running for the leader of the party to respond to the document and to respond to the ideas in there, because frankly, it's what a lot of Albertans are thinking right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was designed to be constructive, but more importantly, it was really designed to be the starting point of a, of a, of a discussion process. A discussion has to start somewhere. And so, I, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of my party, um, but I do want to speak on behalf of my constituents. And that's really what this is about, is the the content in this document uh, is the result of uh, a lot of consultation and conversations with people in my community abroad. Many of my colleagues have signed on to this as well. You know, certainly um, other colleagues have had input I think that we're I think that we're going to see a positive discussion come out of this but more than that more importantly and I want to emphasize this for anyone listening like there had to be a line drawn in the sand like we, yeah. we can't keep we can't keep going through this cycle uh, like I it would be so irresponsible for me to be my 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 successor 20 years from now sitting in my chair in the House of Commons going through the same arguments that my my predecessor did you know in the early 1980s and onwards mm-hmm. So it has it, this has to end, and I think the structural constitutional reform is the only way to do that. Uh, we have to try that, and the country has to understand very clearly that in order for confederation to be sustainable, these these changes aren't a nice to have; they're 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 a must have, and they have to happen very quickly. So there's an urgency to this. Absolutely. I mean, I I cannot imagine what it's going to be like. You know, here in Calgary, if the Liberal government politically vetoes the tech mine, I know what it's going to be like Mm -hmm. um, because it's already there. And uh, like I look at the work that Stephen Harper did um, and I look at the the work of the, you know, the the reform movement and, and, you know, how that whole movement took sort of 20 years to come to fruition. All of the gains that we made to sort of put Alberta on equal footing during that time period were reversed within months of the Liberal government taking office in 2015. And that that can't happen. I mean, like like the, the, the fate of somebody in Calgary shouldn't be dependent upon what party is in power in Ottawa. And, and I'm, the things that I'm talking about with regard to structural reform are the fact that we, we actually have taxation without representation in Alberta in terms of equitable representation in the House of Commons in the Senate. You know, the document talks about the fact that Alberta is severely un- underrepresented in the public service. We, our, our concerns aren't heard by legislators and the public service as much as concerns from um, those who are in, you know, the Montreal, Ottawa, the Toronto regions because of proximity to Ottawa. Uh, you know, I talk about the, uh, you know, the, the, we, we all talk about all of these structural issues that have contributed over time. I mean, I could talk your ear off for an hour. It's a 6,000 word document mm-hmm. that needs to be changed. So this is why, you know, we, we sort of outlined, we structured it in terms of outlining what we see the challenges are. There, you know, there's, there's several challenges that we've given a historical context for. So it's quantitative, you know, it's measured. It's not a rant. It's it's like here, fact, 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 fact. And then we go into proposed solutions that are categorized both by structure and by policy. Like there's some short-term policy things that need to change, but that's not good enough, right? 
And, you know, it's very clear to me that just repealing Bill C-69, C-48, these sorts of things, that's not going to change this because, you know, 10, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, like even if we have a conservative government or, you know, forget partisan stripe, a government that wants to put Alberta on equal footing, uh, that can be repealed very quickly uh, because we're not structurally equal. And that's problematic and it needs to change. It has to change. Right. A lot of this is obviously, as you say, about Alberta and Alberta's plight. I mean, obviously, the, the reference to, to Buffalo is, is a reference to, to the historical idea of, of uh, combined Alberta-Saskatchewan province, which it seemed as though folks in the East kind of feared as, as maybe having too much power. So is this also about Saskatchewan? Is this about the West? Right. And I, I, I'm glad that you, you brought that up because, you know, before joining Confederation, uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan were part of an enormous ex- expanse of land. Uh, that land was purchased uh, without consultation of its persons. And, you know, I, I want to, you know, acknowledge the traditional territory of First Nations persons mm-hmm. in this conversation. That's that's a requirement. Um, but yeah, like the, the these that area was supposed to be. It was always intended to be one province, Buffalo, right? And the premier of the time tried to fight against it being divided, but that we were divided for that reason, right? That, so that we didn't have a power to rival Ontario or Quebec. So the inequities, the structural inequities that Alberta faces and Saskatchewan were built into this transaction with Ottawa, and. You know, there was no consultation, and and since then we've we've seen you know with with the uh, patriation of the um, the Constitution, you know, Lougheed's battle in there, uh, the National Energy Program, uh, you know, we've just seen the. Over and over again, and we're living in it right now. Like this, this sort of mentality by the Laurentian consensus of Upper Canada that we are a colony, that we are there to provide wealth without the same type of representation that other parts of Canada has. That's just a fact. Like, I mean, look at the debate that we're having in the House of Commons this week, right? And that is that can't continue. I, I, I think that regardless of political stripe, I would hope that people realize that we have to we have to change this. And that was really what, you know, the four of us set out to do was to start a discussion um, about how, but more importantly saying, uh, pay attention, this has to happen. This has to happen because of the sentiment that's in our province right now. Uh, and maybe not exactly as it's written. I mean, it's it's probably not realistic to think that this is a checklist that the current government's going to go through and, and do all of this. But, but I mean, looking at it, do, do you see some major priorities that, that are, A, most important, and, and B, maybe at some level, most doable or most workable? Well, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head in saying, like, is the government going to acknowledge that these are things that are that that have to happen like that's step one right like the priority one is getting uh, consensus among political party leaders to say that this is something that is is not a nice to have but it's a requirement for for confederation to be sustainable like uh, you know i am i'm a federal mp uh, I, I i represent the people in my uh, my community i also have to ensure that i'm trying to be part of the uh, a process that strengthens all of canada but the other, the other party leaders have to do the same. 
right? Other mm-hmm. MPs have to do the same. It can't be a one-way street where Alberta is just going and, you know, like supplicant to the rest of the country. Hey, you know, please treat us equally. Uh, this has to be acknowledged. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people in the province. Like, I mean, I, I am concerned about the separatist sentiment because I, I do think a Canada that's united in equality is, is in the best interest of our people, but that's not the case right now. I think people are, who are kind of looking at that sentiment, they want, they want this. They want a firm attempt to change structural inequities. So here it is. Uh, and, you know, for me, I think what needs to happen is people in the province that are feeling this way, that they've been looking for something to point to in terms of saying, this is what we need to do. I hope that they, you know, engage in this process, that they share it, that they raise their voice. Uh, and and, and, and I, I'm just, you know, Rob, I'm just trying to do what I can do. Uh, I've really been struggling with how to fight for my community. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's been like banging my head against a, a brick wall out here for almost five years. We've made, you know, the best that we've been able to do is sort of maybe diminish slightly the impact on how bad it's been for our province. But, the, the, you know, people across the country, if they believe in confederation, then this needs, this needs to serve as a wake-up wake call that we have to change. And, uh, you know, that's, this is what I've come up with. And, you know, to, to their credit, colleagues across this, this, our province uh, have come up with to say this is how we can contribute to be a catalyst for fighting for our province in a, in a very constructive way. Yeah. Yeah, I think wake up call is a good way to put it because, you know, the the idea that if we just don't talk about these things, that, that this this anger just goes away, right? The idea that somehow this is fanning the flames. It, this, this is very real, what's happening here and, and the anger and the frustration here. And I, I, I get the sense that there are a lot of folks in other parts of the country that maybe don't don't want to acknowledge that or, or just simply don't understand it. Like, I mean, we've we've posted this, you know, about 24 hours ago. And in that time, we've actually had thousands. I'm, I'm shocked at the response. Like thousands of people have signed on to it uh, and have already sent feedback. But what is also shocking, but also deeply unsurprising, and we actually addressed this in the text of the document because we knew this was going to happen, was the mockery and the diminishment of the concerns in here by people in other parts of the country. Um, You know, I really encourage people to read through this. We put a lot of effort into sort of addressing beyond just the structural policy concerns, the the treatment and the attitude of the people in our province that precipitate some of this this stuff. Like, so for example, we're rednecks, we're not capable of progress or compassion or that our jobs are dirty and that we should just, you know, take a welfare check from Ottawa, bail out. you know, meanwhile, people are living carbon intensive lifestyles in other parts of the country. They're dumping raw sewage into the St. Lawrence. But, you know, it's this sort of self-sanctimony. And I'm not saying everyone in Canada is like this, but there's a class of people who use their platforms to denigrate our province through word and through policy. And that is what we've been seeing in response to this. And it's interesting because it's, it serves as a proof point that this has to be a wake up call, that in, in so many ways, you know, the, the, the stereotypes that our people are painted with, and I see it acutely because, you know, I come out here in Ottawa, I'm, I have to travel the country to make the case for the people in, in my, my, my constituency and other parts of the country. I hear it. Mm-hmm. And it has to stop. You know, just briefly, if you'll indulge me, I had this last weekend, I was at a conference and um, actually in the U.S., uh, I was speaking at a conference and I was at a dinner and uh, there's 
um, a, a colleague from overseas had come to me and said, uh, you know, what's going on in your province? I, I hear about it from my neck of the woods. It seems really bad. And there was a woman sitting at the table, a professional from Toronto, and she she's kind of over-talked. I started and she over-talked me. She goes, well, you know, they're not as diverse as we are. And so they have really, they have a lot of trouble with racism and they all love guns. So it's like a gun thing. And I just, you know, I just stopped and I said, it is opinions and comments like that that are fueling the anger in my province. And that's what needs to change. I'm just so tired of it. So anyway, I've, we're trying to, you know, take that feeling and put it into something constructive that people can say, okay, rest of Canada, get behind this. I think people want a last attempt. That's what, and I think that that's what this really is. Yeah. Well, people can read it for themselves, add their voices to it's buffalodeclaration.com. Michelle, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thanks so much for having me. There you go. That is Michelle Rembel-Garner, the conservative MP for Calgary Nose Hill, one of the four signatories of the Buffalo Declaration, along with uh, Banff Airdrie MP Blake Richards, Peace River Westlock MP Arnold Learson, and Medicine Hat Cardston Warner MP Glenn Motts, buffalodeclaration.com. So what do you make of what you heard from Michelle? Have you had a chance to look at this yet, add your name to this yet? We'll go through some of what's proposed in this Buffalo Declaration. But as Michelle Rempel says, it's a line in the sand. It's a wake-up call. And is that what's needed? 403-974-8255 is the number here, 974-TALK. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.